Hi, folks. Welcome to Follow the Leader, a podcast focused on telling character-driven stories through the use of GMless tabletop games where you can all take the lead. You can find us on Twitter at FTLcast and at FTLcast.com. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash FTLcast. Today we're playing Things Eldritch and Terrifying by me. Uh, for those of you who are new to this game, here are the basics. There exist many terrible creatures beyond our mortal kin, which prowl the universe looking for new things to conquer, to own, to devour. They lurk beyond the edges of our plane, but that doesn't mean they don't see us. They covet our world. They want to take it as theirs, but there is a locked door between their plane of existence and ours. The way to overcome this is simple. Convince someone on the other side to open the door and let them in. I'm Dora, and you can find me on Twitter at HarpyDora, and you can find the games that I've written, including this one, uh, on itch at harpydora.itch.io. And my pronouns are they, them. Playing with me today, we have... Uh, hi, I'm Kales. You can also call me Mac. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Citadel of Swords. You can find my games at citadelofswords.itch.io. Uh, you can find the writing that I do at paradoxicalrenegade.com. That's on my Twitter, so just go to... I, I say it every time, and then I'm like, I'm not even going to try and spell it. Just go to my Twitter, and you'll find it there. Um, <laughs> and my pronouns are also they, them. Our lines, things we absolutely do not want to see, are homophobia and transphobia, racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, violence against children and animals, sexual assault, domestic violence or intimate partner violence, and unwanted pregnancy. Our veils, which are things we're fine with addressing but will just fade to black on, are steamy situations, graphic descriptions of bodily harm, uh, terminal illness, and plagues. Um, this game may con contain uh, body horror and uh, possession of people. Um, I'm going to say straight out that it's probably going to be non-consensual possession. Um, if that changes for some reason, uh, we can always re-edit in a different content warning, but that's kind of what I'm thinking will happen at this point. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of wiggle room for, for addressing various, various forms of consent in, in that, so. Yeah, I'm just, it's, it's not gonna get shown on screen, probably, so it's just, it's gonna seem at least to be non-consensual possession from an outsider's perspective, so yeah, it's worth mentioning. Yep, definitely. Especially since I have a weird thing about people fucking with other people's memories that I have no idea where that comes from, but it's a thing. So I would like to say it. <laughs> it I mean, it's reasonable. Haha, trauma brain. Haha, trauma brain. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, if any of that is not your cup of tea, don't feel bad for just turning this off. Uh, go listen to a, a different arc that you enjoy. Uh, and uh, otherwise, uh, if you're all cool with that and want to go on this adventure with us, uh, let's get started. Woo! <laughs> and this is where the spooky theme goes.
Okay, so, uh, despite the fact that I wrote this fucking game, I, uh, haven't played it, uh, since, uh, 2018? Neither have I, so we're in the same boat. Yeah, so, uh, this is, uh, this is fun, this is good. Uh, so, uh, this is a game about Eldritch Terrors and Temptation. Uh, it places an emphasis on extraplanar entities trying to use an alien skill set to interact with a human in an appealing manner. Uh, it's meant to be a horror game first and is intended to uh, let you explore the intersection between the terrifying and the seductive. I'm not going to lie. Uh, the internal title I had for this game for a very long time was Eldritch Horror Dating Simulator. It's good. is the thing. I mean, I will say that one of the major relationships of FTL rose out of a game of things Aldrich and terrifying, so... Or one of my major FTL relationships, <laughs> anyway. It's good, is the thing. The thing is, it's good. Um, but we're not hitting... Uh, we're not hitting the button on the dating part of that this time. No. Which, you know, is weird for me, but it's... It's cool, it's cool. It's, it's good, it's fine. Yeah, it's gonna be good. So the first thing that we need to do uh, is we need to choose our setting. And according to the rules, it could be a fantasy setting, modern day, steampunk, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the only thing that matters is obviously that we agree on when and where this is going to take place. And uh, hey, Dora. Hey, Kale. Or hey, Mac. Where are we going to set this game? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Have you ever heard of this place called the City of Gold? Oh, you know, that sounds really interesting. Why don't you tell me more about it? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for new listeners, um, we have a, a recurring setting here on FTL that we've we've dubbed the City of Gulls, and it's a, uh, a settlement in a green post-apocalypse. Uh, a sort of Magitech green post-apocalypse. It's about like 200 years post a devastating war between, you know, magic and technology um, that annihilated. And some divine intervention. Yeah. You know. You'll find out about that soon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it's, it is a setting that is near and dear to our hearts. Um, the, the main things uh, to know going in are that this world is is kind of feral in a lot of ways. There's a lot of overgrowth. There's a lot of megafauna. A lot of what could be considered humanity's achievements, you know, skyscrapers and things like that, lie in ruins. And the city of Gulls is, in this setting, like the largest human settlement uh, that we as players and as listeners are aware of there might be bigger settlements elsewhere but who fucking knows um yeah and the city of gulls actually um and i feel like i feel like we haven't said this since those episodes came out um the city of gulls was actually we took the name from uh the sundered land by uh Dee vincent and Meg baker um which was the first game that we ever played in this universe and the city of gulls is actually written into those mini games as a setting place and we just never renamed it not that it's like a fancy name or anything but i kind of every time i think about it i go i should remember to bring up the fact that it is like in the sundered land as the setting yeah 
And it's see, see the problem is like Vincent Baker just came up with a dope as fuck name. Yeah. So and I mean like like I said, it's not like it's like it's not particular. <laughs> I, Vincent Baker, I'm so sorry. I don't mean this in the way that it's coming off. It's not a particularly imaginative name. It's not like we named the place Westeros because we were playing the Game of Thrones RPG. We named it the City of Gulls, and then we populated it with gigantic seagulls. So I mean, like, it's not the worst. It's it's like we're not committing. We're not like we're not plagiarizing or anything. But it is like it is hard because I do want to acknowledge that, and I have to remember to acknowledge it more. And that's why it's like we need to come up with another name for the city, but also. What's doper than the city of gulls? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like the gulls are already just like kind of woven into the fabric of of where we're at anyway. So yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. Remember how we mentioned megafauna? So you know, you've got bear-sized seagulls, and at one point, about seventy years ago, there was also a blue whale-sized seagull that descended upon the city and got taken out by a giant. <laughs> yep. I love it. Um, you can hear more about you can hear more about that story in Arc thirty three. Thirty three. Yep, thirty three. Um, oh wait, no, no. It might have been thirty four when it came when it went out. Oh, it was thirty four. <laughs> it's Arc thirty four. We did some number crimes. <laughs> we did some number crimes. <laughs> um, I would highly recommend that. I mean, I'm going to try, we're going to try and keep this as close to being standalone as possible. However, I would highly recommend before you listen to this episode, or these episodes, I don't know how long this is going to end up being, that you go back and you listen to arcs 15 and 24, because this game will directly tie into the events, especially of 24, and it will probably still make sense, but I will, I'm going to say some shit. Um... (laughs) (laughs) that i talk about in arc 24 a little bit and it will make just a tiny bit more sense so it's good stuff it's all it's all really good stuff but like i said i'm gonna try to make this standalone but this is going to be this is a tie-in episode so yeah yeah (laughs) this is not non-canonical yeah all right so now that we've got our setting the next thing that we should talk about are our characters. So this is typically uh, meant to be a two-player game. There is a three-player variant. We're not playing that today. We're we're doing the, the vanilla two-player standard rules. If you want to hear the three-player variant, you can subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> yep. So there are two characters, the human and the terror. And uh, it's the human's job to react to uh, the horrifying things that are happening around them that are instigated by the terror. And uh, based on that, uh, the human uh, rewards either favor or revulsion to the terror. And uh, terrors are the extraplanar eldritch entities that claw at the boundaries of our world, scrabbling for a way in. Um, Mac. Yeehaw. Why don't you tell us about your terror? So, I am playing someone called Zephyr. Uh, Zephyr is, ostensibly, a ghost. Your character does not know 
Zephyr's true name. Well, okay. Your character knows Zephyr's true name. <laughs> that was a bad sentence. <laughs> um, your character knows Zephyr's true name. Your character does not know Zephyr's former name or the name Zephyr. I almost said legal name. <laughs> <laughs> um, your character only knows the summoning name that they had burned into their memory upon fleeing a certain location, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, so I'm playing Zephyr. Zephyr is a humanoid terror. Their adjectives are fickle, cold, and savvy. One of the things uh, that Dora says, um, it's important to determine what supernatural abilities your terror may possess and what you would do should you be allowed into our plane. You may also want to consider how savvy your terror is with mortals. Just remember that even the most savvy terror will still frighten a mortal as often as not, as well as add details to, to how your terror would look if it were to manifest its true form. So, for the sake of the listening audience, um, who may have forgotten, Zephyr is a ghost, formerly known as Annabelle Lee. Formerly, formerly known, this is the, the summoning name that Dora's character had, is Our Love, It Was Stronger By Far Than The Love Of Those Who Are Older Than We, because I am a slut for an Edgar Allan Poe reference when it comes to this girl. <laughs> um, Zephyr themselves manifests pretty shapeless, pretty formula, formless. They don't have a face. They don't really have a way of communicating. Um, and depending on their ability to interact with the environment or what they're thinking about, they more closely, they can more closely resemble Annabelle as she was when she was a mortal. But she is no longer a mortal. Um, she is now a, a mess. <laughs> <laughs> she is now an entity. And I'm saying all of this out loud because, like I said, I talk about it in Arc 24 a little bit. Uh, when summons. Mm, I did it again. Dora, would you like to talk about your characters and stuff? <laughs> You're gonna have to do a lot of bleeping. <laughs> you know what? I I like that, actually. I Now that I know how to bleep things, I am happy to bleep things. It's fun. So, I am going to be playing the human, and my human's name is Marius. Thank the gods for small favors. They use they-them pronouns, and uh, their adjectives are severe, intelligent, and foolhardy. Uh, their look is that they're short, kind of like the 5'3"-ish range, uh, willowy and pale. Uh, they have long brown hair uh, kept in an elaborate braid, dark eyes, and sharp features. And uh, they wear the the kind of, I'm imagining them as like flowy robes of their station as a mage of a place known as Anukar, which unfortunately for them uh, was sacked by a uh, bunch of uh, cultists. And uh, they are the last mage of Anukar, and they have uh, the summoning name of a ghost burned into their brain. Well... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> said ghost. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um. So, uh, one of the things that when creating a human, uh, that you're supposed to do is you choose a flaw or weakness 
uh, that the terror might exploit. Uh, this is most likely some sort of dissatisfaction with yourself or the world around you, but could also be something along the lines of greed or revenge. Uh, typically, uh, this is not something that the human player shares with uh, the terror player, uh, because it's it's more something that should come out in play that the terror player could potentially pick up on and, and exploit. But since that doesn't make for good audio, and also since you know, Zephyr's summoning name is burned into Marius's brain. This is a two-way street, people. Yeah. And and people who are, and, and folks who are not people, I don't mean to assume. Fair. So, uh, the flaw that Marius brings to this is uh, their heedless thirst for knowledge. Well, luckily for everyone, that is something that Annabelle always shared. Um... When you talk about this next point that you have written, do you want to give the recap of what happened last time we saw Marius? Um, yeah. So, um, the last time we saw Marius, they were decently settled in to a reclaimed old library in the city of Gauls. They were part-time trying to educate the the youth in the area five youth to be exact five whole youth five whole youth <laughs> um and uh well actually i don't know one of those youth would probably punch them well uh anyway <laughs> i'm just imagining like a teenage soul pu uh punching marius in the solar plexus i was not even putting soul in this picture i was just thinking of the five children from echo from echo i know but like that's just it's it's a very good image is the thing they deserve it yeah, i know they do marius is canceled squad president <laughs> right here <laughs> yep so they uh, you know, educating some of the, the local youth, uh, but also doing some research because the city of Gulls has a bunch of weird shit going on, and uh, some of that shit only happens in the dark. And so one of the last times we saw Marius, uh, they were messing around with some some darkness-flavored magic, shadow-flavored magic. It was just straight-up darkness, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you know. Um and so the next uh the next thing that you want to consider about uh your human is uh how uh they feel about the supernatural or the occult. Obviously, Marius is a mage. They spend a lot of time studying the occult and the supernatural, uh but their their views on it are in some ways very clinical and very scientific they like they like the research they like experimentation they like trying to figure out how to make things reproducible so yeah um i also really like this next part that dora has in the game which says you are encouraged to explore the effects neurodivergence may have on your interactions with these terrors as well as delving into how gender race and queerness may inform your reactions just remember to respect your fellow players and be mindful of your portrayal of sensitive topics. Um, as a neurodiverse, genderqueer person, <laughs> hello, um, not going to talk about the race thing because I'm white, Dora's white, <laughs> that's, not our, that's not our place. 
But I don't think it really is going to become a thing anyway here, really. It is one of our lines, but it'll still, it'll still have an impact. I think a lot about how Annabelle uses she, her pronouns and Zephyr uses they, them pronouns because Zephyr is just a formless ghost, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a vibe. Yeah. And, and the, the main reason that I put that in there is just because the horror genre especially has, uh, it's fucked. Yeah, it has a lot of tropes that can be used by marginalized people to explore their identities or that have been wielded against marginalized people. And as somebody who deeply enjoys horror, I like the the freedom to play with those tropes to... Let's talk about how most monster movies are um, use their monsters as metaphor for disability. Yeah. Uh, plot twist, this episode is now film 101. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, monsters tend to be queer-coded yes. in a lot of ways. You know, things like that where it's it's meant to encourage you to examine your relationship with these horror tropes and how these horror tropes could be used against people and try to subvert them. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Okay. So, Dora, here's a question for you. Yes. Are we going to re-show the summoning scene itself? Um, I don't think we're going to... Hmm. I'm cool with going in either direction. If we do re-show it, we will probably end up retooling it, which I have zero problem with, because Lord knows it's been a year since we recorded ARC 24, and we don't remember exactly what it is that happened, and I could probably stand to rejig some of the stuff that I did as Zephyr and how all that worked because that was kind of spur of the moment because I wanted to do that reveal mm -hmm. but if you don't want to do it we don't have to do it either like I'm fine either direction that's why I'm asking but if if we don't redo it then we need to say what happened <laughs> yeah part of me wants to redo it because you know revisiting that would be a good idea but you know, there's the part of me that's like, oh, but if we retcon it, then that's inconsistent. And it's like, bitch, no, this is this is games. We can retcon what we want. What matters How is... How much shit have we retconned in the time that we've been doing this? <laughs> I know, I know. The other thing that I was concerned about is, like, that, that does sort of, if we do revisit it, although, I mean, I guess Death of the Author... um you know, that does kind of uh, prescribe one of the scenes for us, unless we want to do that as kind of like a prologue. I mean, I also don't have a problem with prescribing that as a scene, because I think that that tying into what I was saying about the haunt works really well. Okay. Um, cool. So I don't have a problem with uh, prescribing that as a scene. It, it <laughs> makes me have to do less work for trying to figure out how this stuff is going to go. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Um, so since we've got our setting and our characters, we're basically able to start play. One more thing. Sorry, Dora. One more thing. This also works out because then people don't have to listen to ARC 24. Fair. But you know. it's just an added bonus. I wasn't. They should listen to ARC 24, but if they don't, like, this can stand on its own. Yeah. I like things standing on their own. Yeah. So. Uh, the reason I was talking about prescribing a scene, um, the terror gets five scenes with the human. Uh, the human establishes the scene 
uh, by describing where they are and what they're doing, and then uh, the terror will respond by using one of their moves, which, uh, you know, you're not supposed to say, this is the move I'm using, but it's it's basically to give you just sort of some guidelines for the fiction. There are a couple of moves that uh, any terror type could use, but there are also moves uh, that apply only to uh, humanoid terror types. Either party uh, can end the scene. Incidental characters can enter the scene as needed, uh, but it's always about it's always supposed to be about the interaction between the human and the terror. And uh, with the permission of the human, uh, some harm may become may come to them, whether it's uh, bodily, emotional, or uh, psychological. Uh, but much or all of the harm uh, must be undone by the end of the scene. So uh, I don't think we need to go into all of the moves. Um, nah, I'll I'll talk about them as I do them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we're pretty much good to go. Uh, right. Um, yeah, since, since it was like a year ago, gosh, was it really like a year ago when we did 24? Yeah. Uh, when did it get released? Uh, September. Oh, it was released in September, but I think we recorded it in July. Oof. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's also just like generally been a while since we've kind of gone back to this like we did echo but that was like in a timeline that was set before and time's fucked anyway so you know what i mean yeah oh yeah okay so since we're we're going to use the first scene as a kind of establishing i'm i don't remember why oh okay I do remember. As soon as I started trying to Were talk- Were you gonna say you don't remember why Marius went to go summon Zephyr? I I was about to say it, yes. Because I remember. <laughs> it's because they're an idiot. <laughs> well, I mean, yes. Yes, they are perhaps not the wisest. Brightest. Yeah. They are, they are perhaps not the-, the the wisest bulb in the shed but yeah it was it was basically because they decided that uh they were going to uh they were going to try to find a way to stop the uh goddess of death um and so who better to ask about the goddess of death than a ghost yep so, um, our scene opens with, uh, I'm imagining, so, like, I've been playing a super too large amount of Animal Crossing, like many people in this day and age. Uh, We're recording this in May, by the way. Yeah, literally the first day of I'm May. I'm sure that people are playing tons of Animal Crossing still when this episode comes out, however... We are recording this in May. So. Yeah. Happy International Workers Day, everybody. Don't cross a fucking picket line and don't be a fucking scab. Don't be a scab. But, uh, I'm, I'm imagining, like, there's this really cute, uh, round carpet that you can get that's, uh, got, like, some 
magic looking sigils on it and it's really cute but i'm kind of imagining something like that mm. where like there's you know maybe a carpet that marius has painted or or maybe not even necessarily a carpet but like a a cloth that they've unrolled that has like runes inked on it and then candles at like the four corner you know the four points of the compass and there's definitely incense and uh smoke and they speak zephyr's summoning name our love it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we so the move that i'm using is hmm can i use two <laughs> yeah okay because i think that the the the, the the imprint is going to get left, but this is absolutely the physical manifestation move. Mm -hmm. um, so the physical manifestation says, you create a form on the physical plane that is a small extension of yourself. This physical form must align with your true form on the other plane. This form may touch and manipulate physical objects, but you cannot touch the human without their consent. Uh, and the two points are, this may be used to speak directly with a human, and there's some tactics. <laughs> That Dora offers me. Um, and I'm just going to come right out and say that uh, after this, there will be an imprint left on the library, um, which is a haunt. Um, this is a special... So the physical manifestation is just a move that you can make. Um, and this is a special move that the humanoid terrors have. Um, you create a spectral semi-autonomous form that lingers in a particular place and often performs repetitive functions, completing a circuit through a room, repeating a phrase, etc., uh, the haunt may take whatever form you wish, but it cannot physically interact with the environment beyond moving small objects. Uh, once a haunt is created, it is permanent unless the terror states otherwise and may be utilized in future scenes. Um, but I'm going to save that one for later, because right now this is just the physical manifestation. Hmm. Um, so Zephyr's there, and they are uh, pretty formless, I would say. S they're not transparent they're like colorless but they're not quite transparent it's a very weird it's kind of disorienting i think to look at them directly also they don't have a face <clears throat> yet i think i think you get the sense that they will but that that it is possible to I don't want to say pressure, but that's the best word I can think of, that it's possible that they could form a face if you hit the right notes. I think Marius... I don't think, I don't think using the summoning name of a ghost that has been burned into your brain is exactly the uh, smoothest thing that you can do, and so they're probably like visibly shaken as it is. And I don't know if we ever established that this, if this was the first time, I feel like this was the first time that, that Marius ever used Zephyr's summoning name. Uh, yeah, I think so. And I mean, if it wasn't, it is now. Um, <laughs> sure is. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I think Marius, like, looks, I want to say looks up into Zephyr's, well, where Zephyr's face would be. Because mm -hmm. I'm kind of imagining like Zephyr maybe partially having coalesced out of the incense smoke. Mm -hmm. And 
I feel like part of part of Marius didn't exactly expect it to work. And so <laughs> like Oh buddy. So they're like, Who are you? Um Zephyr's head just like Zephyr's like a kind of head just like tilts like and you get the sense that if they could say anything to you they'd be extremely disgruntled (laughs) (laughs) because they just and they just kind of like gesture to (laughs) themselves because I think the two way street thing with the name uh, it's that's not a psychic connection (laughs) or at least it's not one yet it could be maybe we'll find out yeah, play to find out what happens. Play to find out. Um, I don't want Marius to go through asking all the obvious questions because I feel like I feel like they even 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 though they may be thinking the obvious questions, like they only allow themselves asking an obvious question out loud once. <laughs> God, I hate them so much. <laughs> They're the worst. Um, I think, uh, oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Are they? Oh, what are they gonna do? Oh. Uh, I love when you do that, Dora. I love when you do that. It's just that they're the worst, and so they're going to address Suffer as... All right, I I will endeavor to call you older than we. And Nod. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. You've come from the other side, and I have need of your knowledge. Um, I think that warrants kind of a pause, because I think Zephyr is fairly frenetic, just in general, in terms of emotion. It's hard to not have a physical form for a really long time. Um, But I do think that that gives them pause, and they kind of, like, look. Marius gets the scent that they're looking at them, but there's no face yet, still. After a moment of bearing the weight of Zephyr's quote-unquote gaze. Um, (laughs) I think Marius, like, straightens their shoulders a little. And... Fuck, I feel like we had an epithet. I don't think we ever got that far. Did we? Okay. For, for, For Zephyr? No. Oh, for Marius? No. Oh, for her. Yeah. I think it was just, I think it was just her. We've just been calling her her for, like, a long-ass time. Yeah. I just, I feel like there should be another epithet. I mean, you're right, but... Hmm. How do we feel about she who whispers? That's very good. I had something for, for Violet. That now I can't remember. I want to say it was Bell Ringer. 
Yeah, Maybe. it was something it was something along those lines. It was it was um the one who calls something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that I think that I wrote definitely... it down. If I didn't write it down, I've re-listened to that part. I can just go scrub through again. Um but something like that. Uh She Who Whispers is good. Yeah, so I think Marius Marius says I need to know what you know about She Who Whispers. She is called the Bell Ringer. Wild. Okay. <laughs> well, Anya uh Anya was listening to uh the episode where Violet got introduced. Um, yeah. I just remember saying something about um I am the one who calls, but uh I don't remember the exact words that I used, so that's fine. Um so when when Marius says her name, one eye opens. And then a second one and then a third one. And then, I think as an afterthought, a fourth one. And they all, none of them blink at the same time. So none of them kind of blink at the same time. And they are all just kind of blinking at Marius. And, like, one of them, you know how the eyes crinkle when someone raises one eyebrow? Mm-hmm. You get the sense that that's happening. <laughs> Even though there's no eyebrows to be seen. Actually, maybe there's one, because in the picker, there's one eye that's in the correct placement. <laughs> and it does still have an eyebrow, and I think there's one, and it kind of goes up into the lower lid of one of the other eyes. <laughs> it's very weird. It's very weird. <laughs> I think I think Marius like it's obvious that Marius has to spend some effort on not recoiling because it's like this is definitely unsettling uh to them despite you know the things that you know they've been through up until this point in general uh, what with, you know, the attack on Anakar and fleeing and, and arriving in the city of Gauls and yeah. all of that. Like, this is, this is still pretty unnerving, especially because it's like, you know, it's not every day that you come face to face with a ghost in general. But, um, they're super not wanting to let on that they're disconcerted. Uh, so they just kind of press forward with, uh, I need to know how to foil her. There's this weird twist in the lower part of Zephyr's face. And here's where psychic bullshit happens. Because I don't think that Zephyr's quite figured out how to make a mouth work yet. But Marius gets the sense that Zephyr is saying, it's not in these exact words, it's a sense that this is what they're trying to say. But basically, Zephyr is like, you want to foil she who whispers, mistress of death? You have some lofty aspirations if you think you want to best her. God, I'm just imagining that Marius, like, just has, like, an indignant cat look on their face. And they say... Her cultists caught me flat-footed once, and 
and I will never be caught by her in such a way again. Now there's a smile. And it's very, very weird. <laughs> because it's a smile, but it's like a it's like a twisted one. Like, it's like the smile of someone who's forgotten how to. And Zephyr says, Well, I can't really fault you that. But she's pretty crafty. Possibly why her cult has caught you before. What is it you want? Let me rephrase. Why? Is it just vengeance? Because I don't think that's it. I want knowledge and understanding and the specter of the possibility of her presence is enough to cause people to try to put a stop to my research. I'm only going to be allowed to continue if I can guarantee that her eye not fall on our humble settlement should I continue. Well, that's asking for a lot. And they kind of pull some of their hair from nowhere and kind of you know how when you like pull your hair down from like it being up and it just kind of sweeps over one shoulder Mm -hmm. it's like that except the hair wasn't there before now i'm just imagining that gif of uh elsa during the let it go sequence where she uh flips her hair and it clips through one arm yeah pretty much I think uh, Marius is a little too incensed for the the oddness to to sink in, and they just say something like, "I am the only one in this city who can appreciate the potential lost knowledge, and I will do anything to." recover it, and if that means I must stay the hands of death, I will find a way to do it. You're not. I'm not? I'm standing right here. And the smile looks a little more real now. There is much of who I was in you. You know, I bet if we really put our minds to it, we could do great things together. All right. Older than we. (laughs) What do you propose, then? You keep doing your research. And if you need me, just call. Um, And I think this is the point at which kind of... What's that movie where you see you see like the ask the the spectral form of someone kind of peel away from their back to like hover over them? Uh, This happens in a lot of movies, but it's something like that. And this is the haunt. Okay, okay. I suppose I have no choice but to do as you ask, then. There's like a couple of slow blinks, and then two of the eyes close, and it almost looks like a person's face. Marius uh, suppresses 
a shiver and kind of like drops their gaze to the incense where you know the the source of the smoke and they say i will contact you again when i learn something new um when they look back up zephyr is gone the shade is still there is the shade like visible to the naked eye or is it just a presence that they can feel it's visible but only in the dark thanks and i think marius also has the name zephyr in their head and the kind of like the reminder that like to use someone's true name even a piece of it is dangerous Mm -hmm. um and they would do well to remember because haha just because they use the summoning the the true name of a ghost doesn't mean that it's out of their brain <laughs> yeah cool so i think that's seen that's definitely seen all right uh that was a long boy <laughs> yeah cool um so when ending the scene uh the human must consider how they feel about what's just happened and reward either a token of favor or a token of revulsion depending on uh whether they feel positively or negatively about the scene um i think zephyr's going to get a point of favor because uh yeah things are kind of weird and unnerving slash uncanny but uh there's the the promise of knowledge on the horizon so hmm love that yep so by this point marius has been banned from experimenting with darkness yeah um i'm trying to think what marius could have learned it doesn't have to be that I mean, it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be something where Marius has learned something, right? Well, I'm trying to decide. It's like, is this something where Marius, like, consciously calls for Zephyr? Or is this something where Marius is doing something else and Zephyr, like, approaches Marius? Um... So we can do both over the course of this game because we have five scenes. Well, four now, but we have four whole yeah. scenes. Um, so I think it depends on what you want to start with. So let's do a scene. Maybe maybe it's a few days later, maybe like a week later. And Marius isn't on like, you know, 24-7 surveillance or anything like that, right? No. So I think maybe Marius uh had been so Marius had been perfecting a darkness spell so they could go to the temple that basically only appears in pure darkness uh to investigate that without it having to be completely pitch black night out uh mm. so they could research it whenever they felt like but um you know Sable uh, and the peony, you know, put a kibosh on 
their research, so instead they've just been like carefully charting the moon phases and cross-referencing it with weather patterns, and so they pick a night to go to the area that the temple quote-unquote appears to, uh, at the very least, make some basic observations. And so it's, you know, it it's a ways kind of outside the heart of the city. It's very dark. I don't think... I think that it's kind of like patchy clouds. Like, it's a new moon, but, like, there are still places where sometimes you can see uh, glimpses of stars up overhead, even, you know, after they dou- douse their lantern. And, like, they're using a, a regular lantern and not, like, a mage light or anything because they don't want to risk drawing any sort of unwanted attention to themselves. Mm. And, like, I'm imagining, like, there's this erratic wind blowing in from the coast, whipping their ha- hair out of their braid, and, like, blowing... Like, you know how when it's really windy and the clouds just move really fast? Uh, Like that above. And that's where the scene starts. Mm, Very good. Um, So I'm going to use the move Terrible Omen. Uh, You manifest something in the physical realm that is not your own form. Uh, This may be a flock of malformed birds come to talk to the human. It may be trees that bend and sway in a menacing way to herd the human somewhere else. Omens may not physically interact with the human and must respond to whatever action the human takes. It is said that this move is good to warn a human away from a course of action. But, I think that it's not super clear what's happening here, because I think that there's a chill that falls over the, um, the area where Marius is waiting. Marius is waiting, right? Yeah, they're they're like waiting for the cloud cover to be complete so that they can, you know, try to take some some measurements of the uh, the temple as it appears. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um, I love the example that you give here of this flock of malformed birds. <laughs> um, but I don't think it's super clear that they're malformed. Um, because it's very dark outside. Um, because it's nighttime. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that there is a cluster of, in the background, like behind Marius, the forest of carnivorous trees. Something yells suddenly, and a flock of birds just, you know how... Uh, and there's a bunch of uh, ravens sitting in a tree, and they all fly up all at the same time. And you're like, how the fuck is there still a tree underneath all those birds? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like that. All of a sudden, this fucking flock of ravens just appears. <laughs> and most of them scatter around. Like, they're like kind of like... There's so many of them that it's hard to see their movements, um, or that it it would be hard to see their movements, even in, like, full daylight, but they're, like, staying in one place. Like, Marius, like, can watch them and, like, wait for them to disperse, but they're kind of covering the last of the sky 
and blotting out the last of those stars because they're just staying put. And a couple of them come and perch on a bush or on a rock or on a tree or something like nearby where Marius is. A uh, clarifying question. You said something, something just kind of yelled uh, in the carnivorous forest. Was it, did it sound human? Did it sound animal? Well, I guess more importantly, would Marius be able to tell the difference? I guess. I was going to say the answer to the question is yes. <laughs> um, you don't know what the fuck that was. <laughs> you have no idea what it was. Is it one of those things where Marius, like, turns around to see if they can see, and when they turn back, there's just, like, three birds? Yeah, I don't think Marius yelps, but, yeah, they definitely, like, whirl around to to try to see if they can see anything, you know, because it's it's, you know, instinct to, like, look at something to try to figure out what's going on, even though it's the middle of the fucking night, and there's no moon, and you can barely see stars. And then they turn back, and I th I actually think it would be kind of cool if, like, they turn back and they can kind of, like, sense that the birds are there through, like, you know, hearing the feathers rustle, but mm -hmm. also, like, the sounds are coming from places where, like, there would not normally be perches, because, like, you'd mentioned... You know, some of the birds might be, you know, blocking out the, you know, few stars. So, you know, the birds may be perching on, on the temple as it manifests. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that definitely puts Marius in a bit of a predicament. They're just kind of, like, frozen because, you know, they know that this is what they've come for. But, you know, what could, you know, could something be coming and weighing the, they they do some some calculations in their head, weighing, like, the chances of these circumstances being re recreated against, like, what could have, you know, their their knowledge of what could have potentially caused the noises they were hearing. And then they decide that they're just going to sort of edge closer to where they hear the rustling feathers because they, they're they certain they can defend themselves if they need to. But the chances of them being able to get the similar, this sort of similar opportunity again anytime soon are relatively slim. Mm-hmm. Um, do they get close enough to, like, how close do they get to the temple? Um, I mean, they're, they're not the wisest bulb in the shed, but they are also not the kind of person who's just going to willy-nilly go into the temple, especially when there's the possibility of there being starlight later that mm -hmm. could cause the temple to not exist. But I do think that they, they kind of, like, 
you know how when you know you're in the dark and your eyes haven't adjusted or there's no other light and you just kind of like shuffle your feet without quite taking them off the ground so that way you can like make your way forward without hopefully falling into a hole suddenly or stubbing your toe um or is that just me no no you're you're yep i feel that okay um I was like, wait a minute, maybe this isn't a universal experience. Oh, shit. Now I feel it. Um, That's kind of what Marius is doing before, like... So, like, the way I always imagined the temple was I kind of imagined it as, like, having several... St you know you know how, like, some buildings are kind of raised a little, so there's, there are some steps up to it, like, all around the outside of the building. It's not just, like, steps up to the front. Yes. Um, I kind of imagine it like that. Yeah. Where yeah. they they eventually like encounter the bottommost step that leads up to the building. Um, so they get close enough to touch it with their toe. Um, okay. So uh, yeah, that's 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 good. Because I was wondering if they would be able to see the raven that's on the steps. Well, I mean, they wouldn't be able to see it, but But they know it's there. Yeah. Because I think the key is, is that there is a raven that is on the steps, and it hops up, and there's, like, the sounds of little feet. Mm-hmm. Well, how's that fully work? I mean, I can hear it over Discord, so I'm sure it shows up on your waveform. Oh, yeah, I mean, it does, but I'm like, how's it sound? Does it sound like little, little, um, what's the bird? Claw, talons? <laughs> sound yeah. like little talons on stone? Yeah. It's fingernails on, uh, paperboard? Um... <laughs> So, there's the sound of little talons on stone. Like, kind of hop, 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 hop. Um, and then there's, like, this sound like a knock. And a pause, and a pause, and then there's a sound like a bell. I'm glad you said that there was a sound like a bell, because I was about to say, who's that knocking on my chamber door? Um... <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you won't have seen, you wouldn't have seen this, but what happened was one of the ravens went up and knocked on the door. And that's where the knock came from. The bell? That's something entirely different. It's funny because it's like, it's like, you know, Marius did that, that mental math uh, before shuffling up to the temple, but. I don't think they were prepared for the possibility that there might be something inside the temple. Like, they've always just assumed that this was something devoid of... Life isn't really exactly the word that they're thinking, but, like, devoid of... of uh, Presence? Presence. And so the fact that there's something there to respond to the the raven's knock that upsets them more than the scream did and i think that's what causes them to light their lantern again but the question that i have is are the birds still there when they light their lantern again there's one the one that knocked. And it's looking right at them. 
How many eyes? Two. Okay. It's got one broken wing. Does it look like it's in pain at all? No. Um, And I think it tilts its head a little bit too far for comfort. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, it goes, like, a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. And then it tilts back up, nods, and even though it's got one, it's only got one working wing, it flies away. Yep, I think that's a revulsion scene. Yeah, I don't blame them. <laughs> I think the key is, and this might just be for you, so you can decide whether or not you want to keep this, or, like, I'm saying this for your sake, not for the audience's sake. I think the key is is that it, the real warning that Zephyr was trying to make was there is nothing um, that will help you here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, now is not the time. <laughs> what was the scream? I don't know. Some things even I don't have the answer to. Yeah. Okay. One point of favor, one point of revulsion. Yep. It's August, and I just wanted to thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed us, please consider leaving a rating on your podcast platform of choice, telling your friends about us, or tweeting about us using the FTLcast hashtag. We are also part of a nonprofit podcasting guild called Standing Stones Productions. We do a variety of shows, including The Room Where It Happened and Dumb Kids Playing Hero, two actual play shows, and a Steven Universe discussion podcast called Gay Space Rocks. We also do live streams at twitch.tv slash standingstonesprod. You can keep up with everything that we do on Twitter at stones underscore standing. Unfortunately, Standing Stones was already taken. Your support means a lot. Thanks again!